Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Date Yourself Radio. I'm your host, Veronica Grant, and I'm a green smoothie enthusiast, a radical self-care advocate, and a dating mindset coach for ambitious women looking for a deep and meaningful romantic partnership. Each week, you'll hear me answer a frequently asked question from this community, interview experts in the field, or work directly with the caller as I coach them through a dating or relationship obstacle they're facing. I give practical advice and tangible action that you can apply to your own life so you can learn how to treat yourself the way you want to be treated and get into the relationship you desire and deserve. Let's get started. You are listening to episode 21 of Date Yourself Radio. Some of you may know that a not-so-secret passion of mine is personal finance. It may be my love of number crunching, graphs, or the satisfaction of reaching numerical goals. Not sure, but I just really love it, which is why I'm so excited to have a conversation today about how to navigate money, dating, and relationships with Hillary Hendershot. When I came across Hillary and saw her unique perspective on personal finance, especially the beliefs we have around money, I knew I had to have her on the show. Hillary is a financial coach, money mindset expert, and experienced wealth manager. She's also been a TEDx speaker, and she's regularly featured in Forbes, BBC Online, Investopedia, NPR's Marketplace, and Women 2.0. And she's recognized as a top 40 under 40 entrepreneur and has been interviewed multiple times by the Wall Street Journal. In 2015, Hillary announced her campaign to empower 1 million women to become millionaires. Her passion is empowering women to take control of their money and happiness and achieve their financial goals. So I really love her perspective on money and especially money with and women because I find there to be a lot of guilt, shame, and or feelings of scarcity around money. And so Hillary's here to talk about how we as women can relate to money, but then also how it plays into our relationships and how it can actually be seen as a tool to enhance the relationships that we have with ourselves, but also with our partner. So as you listen into this episode, consider these questions. 
What is your belief about money? Is money the root of all evil? Is money about power? Is it something that you can never have enough of, no matter how much money you make? And how or where do you look for evidence to support your belief? If you're dating someone, are you on the same financial page? Have you had the money talk yet? And one thing Hillary brings up, which I love, is do you have a financial relationship with that person? And finally, do you believe that your income or line of work potentially intimidates men? I'm sure you can tell this interview is going to bring up a lot of questions, opinions, and insights. The conversations from this podcast and all the podcasts that I release every week continue in the private Facebook community. To join us, head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash community and request access and join us there. All right, let's get on with today's episode. Hey, Hillary, welcome to the show. Thanks, Veronica. I've been really looking forward to this. Awesome. I'm so excited to have you today. So let's just start. Um, Tell the audience a little bit about who you are and how you help people. You bet. My name is Hillary Hendershot. I am a certified financial planner. I'm a women's wealth manager by trade. So my firm is one of the leading advisory firms for women, um, especially single, divorced, and widowed women. And I have a special interest in the psychology of money. I did a TEDx talk called The Surprising Power of Language to Make You Rich. And I'm somewhat of a neuropsychology expert. I firmly believe that anyone who wants to can have financial success. And so I also offer wealth coaching and um, I do a lot of writing and public speaking Um, and you know just like I serve women I often speak to groups of women so I'm specifically focused on that on 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 women because frankly we're a little bit behind when it comes to financial health and I think you and I had a great idea to bring our topics of dating and money and couples and harmony together so um, so I think it should be a great topic today. Awesome. Yeah. And this is so interesting what you, um, you know, your specialty is just like so niche down. So how did you, how did you, you know, get there? What did, what happened before? So I was, um, I, I was always kind of a high earner and, uh, you know, I graduated from college. It was the middle of the dot-com boom in Silicon Valley. I was making six figures pretty quickly. And then what I realized is um, I was spending every penny and then some. I mean, here I was single. I only had myself to take care of, but somehow money just slipped through my fingers. I mean, burned a hole in my pocket. I loved the experience of spending money. My mm-hmm. degree was in economics. I'm very sort of numbers oriented uh, always have been always good at math like that and yet and yet the numbers are just not working out for me and actually things came to a crisis in uh, during the financial downturn mm-hmm. I had one of those loans that no one should ever have where the payment goes up the amount of the loan goes mm-hmm. up yeah. my condo value like plummeted and so here I am with like of more a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage on a condo that's only worth two hundred thousand. Oh my my mortgage payment doubles, and um, and I couldn't I couldn't pay. 
I had enough credit card debt, enough auto debt, and enough mortgage debt that I, I really literally was in trouble. And uh, at that point, I was already in the field of financial planning. So I was a certified financial planner. I go to work. I sit in meetings with millionaires and multimillionaires. I advise them what to do with their portfolios. It's great advice. Right? Like I know what to do. I'm just not doing it in my own life. So mm-hmm. I finally said to myself, this is nuts. I'm obviously programmed to be this way. I'm going to figure the way out. And if I do this kind of along the way, pretty quickly, I figured out, you know, if I can figure this out for myself, I bet by the way that I'll figure it out at the same time for a lot of other people. Like I bet I could give this away. And um, so I'm not your average financial advisor. I really work with people on their the psychology of money and what they say about money. Um, it turns out that the language we use about money and our beliefs about money really do dictate our financial success. Um, progress or whether we have destructive money behaviors uh, is all can all be identified symptomatically when you look at what are the underlying beliefs people have about money I'm give you just an example of a couple common ones yeah people say money is the root of all evil yeah right yeah this is a core belief for some people. These people really struggle to be financially successful because they have so much internal conflict. They believe that having money and wanting money is evil. It isn't. Money is literally a substrate. It's a blank canvas. It's nothing, right? It doesn't exist. We made it up. <laughs> um, I love and, I and, uh, and so that can be one that is really hard for people. Another one is uh, money gives me power or money money makes me valuable. And these are the folks you see driving the expensive Porsches and wearing the leather bomber jackets and the brand name sunglasses. And half the time, you know, they have no money in their bank accounts, Um, but they're really wearing the symptoms of wealth, uh, the evidence of wealth, because they want people to think that they're wealthy. They believe that's how they get value in the world. And it's just a superstition. It's just another money, core money belief that gets acted out in various ways. And, and, uh, you know, I'm sure you have the experience of someone mm-hmm. who seems wealthy on the outside, but it turns out, you know, their mortgage to the hill, that Porsche is on loan or it's leased. Um, when I was in real estate, I used to say, yeah, most real estate agents own a BMW seven series and they live in it. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> it's important in that industry, in that role to sort of perpetrate riches. Yeah. So that's just two kind of polar opposites. There's a lot of other ones. Um, my core money belief was there's never enough money. And then counterintuitively, when you make a high income, but you still believe there's never enough money, you have to manifest somehow that there's not enough money. And how you do that is you overspend. So we relate to overspenders like they're irresponsible or like they're bad people. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're just coded. They have this money belief that leads them to behave in destructive ways. And when they really look at it for what it is, they can transform it. I mean, now I'm an oversaver. Um, so I've changed my ways, but it took really being straight with myself about what was going on. So that gives you kind of an example of, and I call those scripts or beliefs, money operating systems, like your computer has an operating system. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, for some of you listening to this right now, hearing this, you, you completely resonate with it. You think, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, I know what my money operating system is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of giving language to something you already know exists. Yeah, definitely. And I can relate to the scarcity thing. Like there's, you just feel like there's never enough. Um, yep. And it's funny. Very because, common one. Yeah. And it's funny because it's like, no matter what my income was, it never felt like there was enough. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Isn't that funny? Because when I graduated from college, I made $40,000 a year in 1998 in management consulting. And um, and I said, I'm not going to save now because I don't make enough money. And pretty soon I'm making $125,000 a year as a recruiter, like less than two years later. Uh-huh. And, and somehow I'm still racking up credit card debt. Yeah. It was like, uh, what happened here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are a couple of things, you know, before we get into the dating and relationships, like, I think this is still a common struggle and it, and it totally relates, I think to relationships, but like, how can we get out of that scarcity mindset and believe that no matter how much money we're making, it's enough. And maybe even take that step further. How do we know if it is enough? Mm. Um, it's a very deep and complex question. <laughs> I teach these things in my programs, but I'll give okay. you some ways to start. Sure, sure. Um, you want to take a minute. And relate to your money belief. So for you, it's some version of there's never enough money. Mm-hmm. Um, a description about that is it's a scarcity mindset, but you have a core, like a thing that you actually think is true. Like if you look at your money life, there's never enough money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and r- take a minute and write down the web of supporting beliefs that go with that statement. So for example, I had a supporting belief that um, my economics degree was a bachelor of arts. And if I had got a bachelor of science or if I had had a degree in finance that I would have made, you know, I would have made enough money, but my, somehow my degree meant that I was never going to make the money that I wanted and needed to make. Another supporting belief to go with overspending was that my friends wanted me to pay for dinner, that they couldn't afford it and that they loved me more, liked me more when I would buy dinner and drinks. Mm-hmm. And believe me, I bought dinner and drinks a gazillion times, you know, mm-hmm. when that it turns out that was a significant percentage of my budget that I probably shouldn't have been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, another belief is um, um, that, that goes with... Um, overspending is like, oh, I deserve brand name clothes. I work hard. Brand name clothes and purses have higher quality, higher value. I'm not saying that they don't. Okay. But Mm -hmm. it's, it's, if, you know, you have to base your, you have to right size your lifestyle and base your expenditures on what's reasonable to your overall financial picture and what allows you to achieve your financial goals. And you can get high quality things that don't have a Louis Vuitton brand name on them. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I got lots of pleasure from spending a lot of money at Nordstrom. And, um, you know, I went through many years in financial recovery from this, this process where I didn't go to Nordstrom. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but that was a supporting belief. So just take a minute and look at all your supporting beliefs that go with there's never enough money and then all the behaviors that come with it. And um, you want to just really realize that the human brain is so powerful at gathering evidence for what it believes. 
and that that's just one framework. That's just one way to perceive money. But you aren't going to live with contradictory evidence for very long. Your brain is going to find ways to contradict any piece of evidence that comes into your world that might make you believe something else. So you're going to have to consciously choose it in the beginning. Yeah. Um, another step to take is I always teach people to automate. So create a machine that pays yourself first and leaves you with only enough money to spend after you've saved sufficiently mm-hmm. in your short-term savings and your long-term savings, but put away that 20% first when it first comes in. And then that will enable you kind of, uh, I don't know how to say structurally in practice yeah. to right-size your life. Um, and pretty soon you'll get used to what that feels like. It's amazing the power of automating your finances. I, yeah. I teach it. I have videos, training videos online about it. It's, um, I swear by it. My, my wealthiest clients, multimillionaires use it to stay on uh, their own spending plan. And it scales down, you know, all the way to people paying off, you know, six figures of consumer debt. Oh, wow. Wow. I love this stuff. So good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you ask a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do here. Um, okay. So let's now, um, let's pivot to uh, relationships, money, dating. Um, and let's just start kind of from the very beginning. So you're dating someone, um, things keep, seem to be going well, moving forward and all of that fun stuff. Um, when does the money talk come up? And when, not only when does it come up, but what things should be talked about or addressed? So I think you should be as in conversation as you're comfortable with from, from maybe not date one, but maybe date two. Ask mm-hmm. questions like, how do you plan with your money? What's your money life like? Like, you know, do you balance your checkbook? Do you pay yourself first? Have you, do you feel like you're on track with your savings? Or, you know, I, like I used to have credit card debt. How have you managed credit cards? I mean, I, I didn't ask my, my husband. I didn't even figure out that he had, um, yeah, he plays the reward credit cards points game. Mm-hmm. And he, first of all, is a finance whiz um, and has an 800 credit score. But I had ha- I had been burned by credit cards, right? And so mm-hmm. when I found out that he had eight credit cards, I almost flipped. <laughs> I mean, it was like emotional for me. I, I like, had like an allergic reaction. Um, so, you know, just be in conversation about these things. I dated mm-hmm. someone once who I think on the second date said, so how much money do you make? And I was surprised, but refreshed. Um, I didn't necessarily feel in that moment that I wanted to answer it, but I Mm -hmm. told myself, this is a great conversation to have. (laughs) Um, So I think, uh, I mean, certainly, certainly after probably date one or date two, um, you're going to get into the pattern of someone is going to be paying for the dates, right? Right. So I don't know, do the people who listen to your show mostly split dates? Um, It's definitely always a question that comes up. I think, you know, it's actually interesting. I think generally um, the guys pay for at least the first date or two and then start splitting or, you know, kind of going back and forth. Um, I think that is the general trend, but I think the first few dates, like the guy definitely... The guy definitely pays. And I teach when I when I teach my clients, I teach them um, whoever does the asking pays. 
Yes, I like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm I'm a little older. I'll, I'll turn 40 this year. My husband's in his 50s. Uh, and, and that's exactly how, how I wanted it to be when we were dating. Now, I would much rather me pay the whole bill this time and you pay the whole bill next time. Um, but some people feel strongly about splitting. And I think mm-hmm. that's a great, when you have that, who's going to take the check conversation is a great time to talk about some qualitative subjects when it comes to money. So yeah, so you want to split the check. That's great. So does that mean that you feel like financial contribution in a relationship should be really equal or where does that come from? Or would you rather me pay this bill and maybe you pay the next or how, what works for you? Mm-hmm. I think, um, I mean, I love questioning. I'm a curious person and I mm-hmm. think be asking as many open-ended questions in the dating process as you can is like only good. It, yeah. it, you know, I mean, give that person as much opportunity to answer questions as possible, right? You're not there mm-hmm. to have social commentary or be sarcastic about the waiter or the other people in the restaurant. That's not going to teach you if you want to spend your life with this person. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so find ways to enter into the money conversation um, at first with probably without asking for specifics, because those are the things people really hesitate to, to talk about. Okay, so what would be some specifics? Well, I think it, I think there comes a time when you should say, "Hey, so let's have the conversation about how you manage your money." Mm-hmm. I mean, with me, look, I'm a financial advisor, so I mean, they're they right away want to know what I think about their plans. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, a way to enter it, enter into it, would be just, "Hey, so let's talk about how you." run your money life. Do you mind? Like, I'm just curious, do you relate to yourself like a spender or a saver? Are you really strict with your budgeting or how does that go for you? How do you think about that? And so enter into it in an open, open-ended way. Um, and I think you should be, you should be willing to share information first. So Mm -hmm. listen, you know, I've always pictured myself earning X and today I earn Y and, um, and, and I I do a decent job of saving or, but I know I could really save more and I don't have much credit card, but I do have $25,000 in student loans. You know, I'm just making this up, Veronica. Those aren't my numbers, but, um, but to be vulnerable and share like that is the perfect way to invite mutual sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, so that's kind of the high level of me. I mean, I, um, uh, you know, do you mind sharing what's going on with you? I mean, you're an engineer. I get the feeling you probably earn a lot of money. Um, and, you know, I, th- I just think it would be great for us to be on the same page. Yeah, I love that. It takes courage. But mm-hmm. then again, so does dating, right? <laughs> that is definitely true. <laughs> I mean, um, if you're going to be real with someone, they're going to be in a position where they could reject you for something that they know about you. And either way, it's going to hurt. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I want So that actually kind of goes really nicely into financial compatibility. I mean, what makes someone financially compatible with another person? What doesn't? Um, you know, what, what are we looking for when we're looking for that? So look, I think, I think you're in trouble in a relationship 
if your money operating systems, which is that core belief that I talked about earlier, if you mm-hmm. don't know what you're dealing with. So if you relate to your money belief, like it's money truth, and so does he or she, and they contradict, you're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. For example, can you imagine if someone whose core money belief was money is the root of all evil is dating someone whose core money belief is money gives me power? Yeah. Right. Like those just don't get along at all because money gives me power is going to be driving a flashy car and wanting to pay the bills. And money is the root of all evil is going to be thinking that that makes him or her shallow, a bad person, greedy, selfish like this. And none of those things are true. (laughs) So I think right away you should be, uh, you should discover your money beliefs and, and share about them and be willing to, to alter and change and realign so that your money life gets on the right track. But ultimately everyone wants to be financially successful. I mean, nobody wants to be broken in debt. Mm -hmm. So um, being in a relationship, you're kind of forced. I mean, I've met couples who don't get into financial partnership. Like they live together, they're married, they raise kids together, but they have no financial partnership. It's kind of weird. Um, it's, it's inefficient and I think it puts up a wall between people. So it is possible mm-hmm. to be in a, fin- in an emotional relationship without being in a financial relationship, but it's not likely. So if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, you're by definition going to need to be in financial partnership with that person. Um, so it would be great to start from a high level. Look, what are you, like, what are you committed to? And maybe if you're in your twenties, I mean, you don't know, you know, I think our financial brains don't even really develop until mid early to mid thirties, most Mm -hmm. cases. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Um, So I think financial harmony is, first of all, who's going to pay for the dates? Who's going to pay for the vacations? And then how does that start to develop over time? So uh, at the point we talk about moving in together, or if you're spending five nights a week at my place or vice versa, and I start to feel like, hey, I kind of feel like I'm paying your rent. It's not a problem, but... I'd like to invite you to contribute from a perspective of egalitarianism mm-hmm. and equality, just being treated equally. Um, and that's when the real, the rubber meets the road is yeah. like, you know, uh, being willing to work with your partner, being willing to be insightful about yourself and examine your beliefs. I mean, here's the thing that doesn't make any sense to me. When I made a couple and let's say his credit is crap and he's in debt and he doesn't love his results and she's more conservative and she's worried about his credit score and she's kind of nagging on him, which of course he doesn't like. And yet he's defending his strategies and tactics he's still like no I want to do what I want to do hey look it it makes no sense to me to continue to argue that you like your money habits when they clearly aren't producing the results that you want you know what I mean I Mm -hmm. think you have to be a real pragmatist when it comes to these things um when I met my husband, you know, he's been a hedge fund manager for 20 years. And like I said, he's a finance whiz. Uh, he, 
his experience is he always has enough money to do the things he wants. You know, there's plenty in savings. Like things are things are good. I mean, it wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there were it was hard to get him to share with me in the beginning, but there was some like the credit card thing is a perfect example, and you can use this as a representative of what I'm talking about. Look, my results were bad, and I had in like like post-traumatic stress disorder about (laughs) credit cards. And here he was producing, I mean, we paid for our entire two week honeymoon um, uh, with credit card points. Like it was free, Uh, you know, right. And so (laughs) you just look at from a, from a value perspective, just look at the results that person is producing. If you like their results better than yours, do what they do. (laughs) You know, I got off his case about the credit cards pretty darn quick when I figured out the power of the reward system. (laughs) I was like, okay, I I admit this makes me uncomfortable, but go to it. Do it. (laughs) Take me to Hawaii. (laughs) I, I, I'm obsessed also with credit card rewards, but I am not that good at at them. Not as as good as paying for a honeymoon. (laughs) the grocery store and he's like no use that one to what what's that what sorry what'd you say about the grocery store oh he's able to manage all the rewards and points programs in his head so we'll go to the grocery store and there's certain cards that offer a higher rewards at the grocery (sighs) store and he'll know which one or at the gas station he'll say no use that card (laughs) okay whatever you say I'll do what you tell me to. That is too funny. I know. So um, I, I really think if you're going to be an emotional partnership, you have to mm-hmm. choose to be in financial partnership. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask. So what does, what, how are you defining a financial partnership? Does that mean just shared bank account, shared mortgage, shared credit card, or does it mean just having your own stuff, but then having a joint account? Like what, what does that look like? Okay. So it's pretty clear you're in financial partnership when you're married. Why? Mm-hmm. Because, well, for, for example, in the state of California, everything is community property. Even if you're, so for example, in a community property state, if, um, if you're married and you as a woman are working and say your, your husband's a stay at home dad, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, half of your income is considered his period. (laughs) So I call that financial partnership. (laughs) Um, So then let's take it one step back. So you're living together, you're not saving together, but you're paying for household expenses together. So that's about a 50% of a financial partnership because your homestead is something you're both enjoying. There are efficiencies there because it usually costs less for two people to live together than it does Mm -hmm. for two live separate and so that's a form of financial partnership um and when you're dating but you're not living together there's not and if you don't have a joint savings account um there there isn't much financial partnership there's Mm -hmm. just financial harmony okay you know there's who pays for x y and z and then there's the conversations you have about I mean, let's say you catch wind of his credit report and you start giving him a hard time. <laughs> well, that's going to, you know, that's going to be in the topic of financial partnership. <laughs> right. Okay. So for people who don't live in California, I mean, do you recommend having, you know, joint everything or like what, what's your take on that? Well, most, m- most, so there are eight community property states in mm-hmm. the United States, but okay. most couples live like their like their finances are one Mm -hmm. so most couples consider their retirement savings to be shared um and 
And so that's what I mean by true financial okay. partnership. So okay. there's two people providing for one life. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And couples who don't do that, I mean, is that, is it like bad or is it just a different approach? Um, what, how do you see that? Um, I see it as representative of something that is blocked or some belief that is destructive. Hmm. Um, ultimately, um, let me, let me, let me, let me think about this. You ask really great questions. Uh, let me let me give you an example. Okay. Um, I have a client, a female client who came to me. She wanted a financial plan. And obviously I know that she's married and her husband isn't in the meeting. And I say, well, is your husband coming? And she says, well, no, I don't really know what he has. I need to plan as if it's just me. Um, you know, he he doesn't we don't have money conversations. He pays for this house. I pay for the private school. He does his own savings. I do my own savings. So it sounds fine on the face of things. It sounds workable, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, and the truth is here she is planning her life with this person. And this may be a long way off for you, but thinking about the period of time after you stop working, which most mm -hmm. people call either financial freedom or retirement, mm -hmm. uh, she has no idea what she can count on this person for, no idea what his intentions are, no idea how much resources are there, and yet they cohabitate and they're raising three children together. Yeah. So it really leaves people in the dark. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know, to use something really gritty. Uh, it's like, oh, you know, I have a partner who's diagnosed with uh, tuberculosis and I never knew. <laughs> it's like something that seems yeah. relevant. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so while it can seem manageable on the face of things, in my opinion, it's it, it separates people. Yeah, definitely. I can see that for sure. Um, okay. So backing up a little bit to when, you know, dating in a relationship. Um, so a lot of women in my community are financially successful and they have a belief that they intimidate men because they make more or maybe perceived as making a lot because of, you know, whatever their job is um, or type of job. So what, you know, how can we talking about the money mindset, like how can we deal with that and um, not let that basically be a block in dating or getting in relationships with people. Yeah. The truth is, I'll be honest, I've never actually heard a man say he was intimidated by a woman who out-earned him. Mm -hmm. Most men love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it can challenge the male ego. And the yes. truth is, it's not often like uh, a totally unintimidating woman only intimidates him in the area of money right and of course we have to admit that we're being stereotyping but right. um you know i think younger women are out earning men more quickly than uh the other generation counterparts so in two, mm -hmm. 2015 i looked this up cnn reported that newly minted college graduate women out earn men in 29 out of 73 majors and that millennials are quickly closing the pay disparity gap. So oh, wow. uh, the trend is on the rise. And uh, I think as a woman, first of all, turn the mirror on yourself. 
I think you have to make sure you don't have a chip on your shoulder. I mean, if you walk into a relationship expecting that you're going to intimidate him, you can't really be surprised when you get it, mm-hmm. when you get that. Yeah. <laughs> um, then the next, so, you know, what kind of messages are you sending him? If, I mean, are you communicating that you're too busy for him by not returning his calls and texts? Like, are you being perceived mm-hmm. as a workaholic? You know, if you're not making him feel special or cared for, um, then that might be just as much of the problem. Right. Um, if you can get into conversation with him, I mean, obviously, if he knows that you earn more than him, then you've talked about money and you can ask him to really analyze his feelings. If he's threatened, it's because he's making up some meaning about the money and that dynamic mm-hmm. that isn't actually really true. Yeah. Right. He, he'll say, well, my manhood feels threatened okay but does the amount of money I bring into the checking account mean anything about your manhood no way mm-hmm. you know it just doesn't um, um and so if he's honest he'll be insightful and see that I mean you know like I said my husband's in his 50s so he's no modern millennial and believe me he and I are very much looking forward to the day when I out earn him <laughs> so I'm not there yet because like I said he's been a hedge fund manager for 20 years I've been running this company for I've been doing what I do for 15 years, but I've only been running this company for two. So, you know, my income's on the way up, but he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, keep me in horses, take care of me. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, he's very confident in his own manhood. He's very comfortable Mm -hmm. in his role. So really talk with each other about what you expect the other to contribute to the relationship. So let's say you're a woman and you make $100,000 a year and your man makes 50. So there are literally um, like physical things that are different about what's possible for you and he to contribute to the relationship. So are you as a woman happy to pay the difference if he can't afford that trip to the Bahamas? Like what if it's $4,000 and you have to pay three and he can only pay one? Mm -hmm. If you're fine with that, Great. Great. Right. But if you don't want to pay more because you earn more, really examine that. I mean, understand why you don't want to pay more so you can articulate that. You don't need to feel like you should. It's what's you know, it's what's true for you. And and then don't do it. But then don't don't ask him to do things he can't afford, like work together to get some sense of what the budget is. I mean, a great way to do that is just to share the balance of your vacation savings account. I love having a vacation savings account, um, like money that's put away, uh, you know, every month for the next big trip. And I love uh, that. That's such a good idea. Yeah. You could start one of those together. That would be really fun. Yeah. Um, I love that. Um, (laughs) So one thing, so I told you offline, but when I first graduated grad school, I like, you know, never really had an income before. And I was, I guess I was 24 when I finished. So I read like Susie Orman, Ramit Sethi, a bunch of other books that I can't remember. Those were the two big ones. Um, one thing that Susie Orman talks about for income disparity is um, to pay like proportional. So like, again, just for easy numbers, if, um, you know, someone makes, so the example you use like a hundred thousand dollars versus 50,000. So basically that would be like that person would cover two thirds of whatever expenses they did together. So whether it was just the dates and the vacations, or if they're living together, then that person would be responsible of two thirds of living expenses. And the other person would be responsible for one third because the total combined income is one fifty. but you know, 
the woman has 100 and the guy has 50. So is that like a good framework that, that you've seen before that's worked or, you know, is it really just to each their own? I think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's as valid as any other one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's, it's what, it's what it, it's what works for you each yeah. individually and for the relationship as a separate entity. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that baton might pass uh, over the years that mm-hmm. you're together. So maybe you out earn him now and maybe in a few years he'll out earn you. Um, so I, I think that sounds like a fine plan. I, like I said, I was always, well, let me think about it. Yeah, I've been on vacations where I said, look, this is what I have budgeted. This is what I've got. Um, I'm just going to give you this money (laughs) and you spend what you want. Does that work for you? And he said, yes. And I've been on vacations where, you know, I've paid more. I just said, look, at the end of the vacation, you know, write me a check for $500 or something. Um, And that's kind of how I've always done it. I never wanted to get down to the penny because it just seemed to me it seemed unromantic to review receipts together. Now, that's not true. It's not like my way is the right way. But again, it's what works for you. (laughs) Um, I love that. So, okay. So talking about couples, so still staying staying in that that boat. Um, What is the connection between money and happiness? Um, I've seen studies and I'm, can't remember I've read it or you know I'm probably going to butcher the numbers but like once you get past a certain point of income um that your happiness doesn't get you know doesn't rise with the income but that is true until like I think it's like 250 or something like 250 250,000 I'm referring to um so I'm just curious it's actually the famous study that came out said okay. that people don't get happier above seventy thousand dollars a oh, year it's, income. 70. Okay. it's 70 yeah i did butcher those numbers okay yeah. so beyond 70 people don't get happier not because of money okay right so and the really interesting thing is that even some really wealthy people are uh-huh. still really unhappy in the yeah. area of money because they screw it up mm-hmm. <laughs> and they do um dysfunctional things with their money so they lie about it or they hide it or they attribute negative intentions to their family or friends about it or they play a victim role about it and it's mm-hmm. all like you know, Shakespeare said all the world's a stage, right? We all run our own personal little soap opera in our lives. (laughs) And if money needs to be one of your props, then you're going to use it as a prop. (laughs) Um, um, So then, okay. okay, So then tying this to couples, um, are wealthier couples happier? Um, Are they less likely to get divorced? Um, Because I think money is the number one reason for divorce, but that might have been like 10 years ago. I don't know what's current. I think you're right. Okay. (laughs) I think you're right. And I think it's avoidable and I think it's tragic. Uh, And I think if more couples just took the time to understand their money beliefs, these money operating systems to come closer to one another Mm by accepting that the things they they believe since childhood about money were true aren't actually true in reality and to come closer in terms of how to manage the cash flow I think it's avoidable so let me answer your question from my perspective so the the study that we quoted is the one that is the current wisdom and um, 
And, and I'll share with you that couples who worry about the future, it's because they aren't saving enough. So if you're worried, that's about the future. And that's because you aren't, you don't have a plan or you're not confident that you're saving enough. If you aren't, don't experience freedom or flexibility on a daily basis, if you if you uh, can't do the things that you want, if you feel guilty about going to the movies or out to dinner, it's because your overhead is too high and you don't have enough flexibility in your daily spending choices. Hmm. Okay, so it's important to manage the numbers so that they work for you. And if you hear yourself in these kind of symptoms or traits, you have the opportunity to, to, to manage your money such that you get the most pleasure out of it. Um, uh, and, and I mean, obviously if you have, if you have guilt or shame about money, that's probably about unpaid debts or, or bad management of money. And, you know, we think in life that we can get away with these crimes that because no one knows about them. Oh, I won't pay that bill this month. Nobody really knows. Um, but the truth is your conscience knows Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and you suffer when your promises in the world are unkept. So I think that's a little bit more maybe detailed answer than you thought you were going to get. But (laughs) I always think in terms of symptoms that can be fixed by 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 altering habits. And so that gives you a sense of where to start. Yeah. And I love that because it really just comes back to where we started the conversation, which was just getting clear on your um, your money beliefs and changing the way you think about it and the relationship you have with money. Um, and then you just, in a couple, you just, you know, do that together. So it sounds like you're saying if you're on the same page about money, that's, um, you know, that equals happier couple rather than just wealthier couples equal happier couples. Yes. You know, I recently had, um, I am the host of a, a, a podcast called Profit Boss Radio, mm-hmm. which is designed as a women's wealth mastermind. So I recently had Ariel Ford, Ariel Ford on my own podcast. I'm doing a series on couples and money. Okay. And she said every single couple has at least eight irreconcilable differences, uh, things that you will never agree on, that you'll never come closer together on, and mm-hmm. that you just have to deal with. And <laughs> You know, maybe he's a slob and you're a neat Nick or maybe you can't stand his mother or whatever it is. <laughs> but I don't think you can let money be one of them. Mm. Um, I think, oh, look, you know, you got to do what moves you closer to financial success. And financial success is an outward measure. It's not internal. It's not like, oh, financial success is, you know, financial freedom is different for you than for him. No, you have a lifestyle and there's a certain mm-hmm. number that it's going to take to support that lifestyle. And you're either on track to provide it or you're not. And uh, so I think these things can be done scientifically. And, um, and I think that you have the opportunity to choose financial compatibility rather than relate to it like it's genetic or pre-coded or he's bad and I'm good or or things like this that really aren't productive in relationships yeah Yeah. I hope that helps yeah no it it totally does so um okay so you just mentioned your podcast and I definitely want to share that series with my audience but where else can uh, my audience find you online 
So the best thing to do just right now on your podcast app, you're listening to this awesome podcast and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we know most people listen to three to five podcasts. So (laughs) maybe you're going to add Profit Boss Radio to the lineup. Go on over in your podcast app and search for Profit Boss Radio and subscribe. You can also find me at HillaryHendershot.com. You can subscribe there. You get a cool free gift right away and, and we'll stay in touch with you on a weekly basis with valuable emails and coaching and opportunities to go further if you'd like to do that awesome um we'll that will all those links will be out in the show notes for everyone listening at veronicagrant.com forward slash episode 21 um and also just want to give you a the um, audience a tip if you all listen to more than one podcast so i listen to my podcast on 1.5 speed and it definitely like allows me to listen to more. <gasps> me too <laughs> isn't that cool yeah and then i watch i watch a lot of ted talks too but i always watch it on youtube because then i can watch it on 1.5 as well <laughs> so um just a little uh time management trick there um okay hillary so the last question i have for you is what is your favorite way to treat yourself Okay, so I am right now, as we're recording this, I am seven months pregnant. So congratulations. Thank you. My favorite way to treat myself is a hot bath. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My little splurge for myself is I'm a member of the women's spa here. It's called Burke Williams. And uh, it's not actually a women's spa. That's a lie. I relate to it like a women's spa. There's men there. Um, And I... um, I have like a, it's like a $89 a month membership or something. And I go in there and I get a massage and a facial with my girlfriends and it never seems like the right time to go. It always seems like I'm too busy, but I'm mm-hmm. always, always, always so glad I went. Oh yeah. Isn't it funny how that always happens? So rejuvenating. Oh yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Um, this was such a great in- interview and I know everyone's going to love it. Um, so yeah, just thank you again. And I love all the wisdom and the little um, nuggets of information that you shared today. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Veronica. I had a ton of fun. Thank you for listening to Date Yourself Radio. I love hearing from you. So please post your comments or questions at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. That's also the place you can sign up to receive free coaching with me in an upcoming episode or submit your question. And if you love this show, please share it and subscribe to it in iTunes. I would also be so grateful if you left a review since that helps me share the power of dating yourself with more women. You can find all my social media handles and sign up to be a part of my community at veronicagrant.com. Until next week, here's to treating yourself the way you want to be treated. Much love and happy dating. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.